0: Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 381 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. I am so thrilled that you are here with me today as I am talking to Jennifer Herrera. Uh, we're soul sisters now, hoop earring sisters. We talk about making writing the number one priority. We talk about starting with the opening image, which was honestly very eye opening for me and made me think about some things that I have been failing to do and why they are so important. So I know that you are going to enter, you're going to interview this. Enjoy. You're going to enjoy this interview. This is the fourth early intro that I have done, and it is starting to show. I am probably not still on the road by the time this goes live. I am home in New Zealand and I hope that I am relaxed. I will have just gotten home the day before. I hope that I am not too stressed out. I hope that I am not ill. I hope that I did not overpressure myself by trying to do too many things with too many people. I hope that I'm coming back and I'm feeling like, ah, yes, that was exactly right. I got to hang out with my lovies exactly the right amount. I got to chill out and read a book at exactly the right time. I am hopeful for all of those things. I'm hoping that as I am approaching the desk on the other side of this trip, that I can look out my window and that those um, broccoli that have been growing through the winter here um, have started to shoot up into stalks. Um, I have to say that growing green stuff in the winter here is awesome. I've got kale and spinach and um, some silver beet just going gangbusters. And I'm looking at them as I record this. So I hope that when I get home, I have a really big salad made with the stuff that I have grown. And I hope that I have managed to get a little bit of writing done while I've been gone, but I will also give myself a lot of grace because traveling is exhausting. Family, no matter how much we love them, can be exhausting. So I am welcoming myself back home by dropping this interview for you to listen to, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, Thank you so much for being here. Let's talk a little bit about Jennifer here. Jennifer Herrera is a former philosophy grad student turned literary agent who is fascinated by the stories we tell ourselves to live and the lies we cling to that sabotage our chances at a good life. She was born and raised in Northwest Ohio and now resides in Philadelphia with her husband, daughter, and cat. The Hunter is her most recent novel. All right, here we go. Enjoy, please, and happy writing to you, my friends. Do you have a book you want to get out into the world? Do you feel overwhelmed with which way to go with it? Should you hire an editor? Should you search for an agent? What goes into being traditionally published? Should you think about self-publishing? What kind of marketing will you have to do? How much does all of this stuff cost anyway? So my class, how to publish in today's market will answer all your questions. It'll soothe your worries and it'll give you a roadmap for moving forward. This is the same workshop I've taught at Stanford and UC Berkeley, and with more than 20 up-to-date modules and my own down-to-earth yet enthusiastic encouragement, you'll be able to make the best decisions for your publishing career. It's currently 50% off for listeners of the podcast. Just go to rachelherron.com slash publish. You'll get immediate access and all the answers you've been looking for all in one place. That's rachelherron.com slash publish. Go check it out. Well, I am so pleased to welcome you to the show today. May I ask for your name and your pronouns, please? Yes. My name is Jenny Herrera or Jennifer, if you want to be formal about it. <laughs> um, And she, her. Thank you. I'm going to call you Jenny because we've already bonded over the fact that we're wearing basically the exact same hoop earrings and we have um, decided that we just don't feel right without them.
1: Mm-mm. Like, no,
0: it's a uh, thing and I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm stuck in the past or if I'm very future forward but it doesn't matter because you're timeless you're timeless. timeless it's like that and a red lip which I don't have right now but like <laughs> these earrings and a red lip and you oh, can you're go reminding
1: anywhere me. Okay, we're just gonna is that's <laughs> is that's unprofessional
0: no this... it's delightful that's a good color <gasps>
1: thank you
0: okay people are gonna have to go to the there YouTube you go.
1: Merit oh. Merit is the brand what's the color yes. Merit Cash yes.
0: And you know I Mer- could just like Marrakesh. reach for mine right here. You should yes. do it. You should desk, do it. Desk, desk gloss.
1: <laughs> Y'all,
0: all right. This is <laughs> this is taking a very good turn. That is a yes.
1: beautiful color. That looks okay. great on you.
0: And my eyes can't even see what it is, and I don't remember. But I but I could figure it out. All right, let's jump into writing. Oh my gosh, this was already so fun. <laughs> um, okay. So you wrote this incredible thriller that I super enjoyed called The Hunter. And as I was doing uh, my, my bare due diligence on you, was this your, is this your debut? Mm-hmm. Yeah. excited. Oh, that's what I thought. But then I was like, <laughs> oh no. And she could say like, oh, okay, that in the 17 others I've written. Um, you are also a literary agent how well this wasn't on the (laughs) list of questions that I sent to you but like how how do you balance that how do you balance writing with the work that is coming Uh, in like that is uh, that's hard I know it's really hard
1: uh but I am a literary agent for nonfiction, Ah, and that is this the secret to my success I don't know how people do it to do there are authors Um, who are fiction authors and fiction agents, that to me would get very confusing Mm -hmm. because I think I would think every client's book is my book and try to rewrite it in the way that I write. Um, So I I can't do that. So I do nonfiction and I love doing nonfiction because it means I'm always learning about new ideas. I'm learning about new ways of seeing the world. And then I get to take what I learn and and put it in my books.
0: Oh, that is awesome. And also you just had this, enormous advantage probably or it could be a disadvantage of really understanding the publishing industry before you got into it. What do you think like Oof. what do you think helped you knowing about the publishing industry and what maybe has felt a little weird?
1: Uh okay. So <laughs> helped me. Certainly I knew the players. Yeah. I knew the imprints of the houses. So Mm -hmm. I knew which places had good reputations and which ones didn't. And I think that is uh, extremely important because you don't want to end up at a house that's going to fold. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to end up at an imprint that's known for just doing a really poor job with their books where they don't edit them. They don't promote them. And so I knew that Putnam, where I ended up, was like, it was my top choice Um, and so I had that, like, I knew if I got Putnam, then I was gold
0: Putnam Uh, is
1: part of Penguin Random House. Yes. Yes. I think it's actually the oldest imprint at Penguin Random House. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I'm obsessed with them. They do amazing books and they do just a really good job with their books. Um, Sally Kim runs it. She's phenomenal. She actually discovered Gillian Flynn. Wow. Uh, didn't, You know, I don't think she's still there. I think Gillian moved to a different imprint, but she like discovered like all these incredible voices. So huge, huge fan of hers. And what hurts me being an agent is all the rest. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So
1: that was the pro. And that was the pro. And then the rest are just
0: cons. (laughs) What are are a couple of the cons? I'm just so curious. Yeah. Uh,
1: I know what good sales look like. I know
0: mm-hmm. what
1: good, um, you know, distribution looks like. Like I know all of like the highest bars you can possibly hit because I've seen, you know, I've worked with authors who sold millions of copies. And so it's like, I think there's this constant comparison even though yeah. I don't work with fiction at all. I'm like constantly comparing myself to the best of the best. Being like, if I don't get horrible. there, it's horrible. I hate it. I hate this about myself. Can your wife please <laughs> get on the call and like, talk me through this.
0: You know what she would say? I can even hear it in her voice. She yeah. would say, you are not your job. That's not who you, you know, I know it's so good. It's so annoying when she says that, but it's, she's always right. You're not your job. You, know? <laughs> you are you Jenny, but also as mm-hmm. a writer and as mm-hmm. a literary agent. Wow. That's a lot yeah. to balance. Wow. I am. me. I am not my job. She's right. She's
1: wow. Very, very brilliant woman. Uh, so I think that's like the, the tricky part, but on the bright side, I know that even if you sell millions and millions of copies, most of these authors, like it's not enough. They're not like, oh, I've reached the pinnacle. I can just like coast now. Mm-hmm. Nobody says that. And then, then just the pressure builds. Cause then the next one has to do that well. And the next one. So I know what a trap it is. And that's, that I think is really, really wonderful because I can fall into this like ugly headspace of oh, you, how many millions of copies have you sold, um, and yeah. then I immediately retract and be like, wait a second, even if even if you got to that place, it yeah. wouldn't make you happy. And so it's really forcing myself to return to that like inner inner voice and that inner um, self that says, did you say something worthwhile? And did you let people escape for a little while? If you did those two Mm. things, then like just chill, just chill.
0: That is beautiful. I was literally walking along the sidewalk, I think yesterday, the day before, thinking about how I want more. And then I thought, Mm. I will never have enough. Yeah. Therefore, chill, just chill. You have enough. Yeah. I will, I will never, you know, reach that point that you talked about. Like when I have finally sold. Mm the right amount of books and I can coast for the rest of my life. I will never yeah. get there. So I don't have to worry about ever getting there. It's just this, just relief. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. also writers in particular, I think we are just born dreamers. We're born hopers. And we always yeah. hope that this book or the next book is going to be the one that hits so big. So then oh. how do you balance your, how do you balance your time? um, around getting your writing done and then getting the work that is reading and editing and and doing all the minutiae of the job. How do you balance yeah,
1: that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, and this is actually, you know, cause you had maybe given me a heads up and so questions that would be asked. And one of them was like, what's the kindest thing yeah. that you've done for your writing or, or something along those lines. Yeah. And I think it's that I work on my writing first thing in the morning, every day. It's mm-hmm. the first thing. It's number one priority. Like outside of my family, it's the number one priority for me every single day. Um, Hopefully, my clients aren't listening to this. (laughs) It makes you a better agent. To do that, and actually makes you a better human. um, My clients know this too. It's like we've talked about this at length. Um, And And they're writers; they understand. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, "Good for you! I'm glad that you like can do it." Uh, I think it, you know, if I make that time for myself every day and I make it my biggest priority, it's like laundry will get done, dishes Mm -hmm. will get done, um, clients' manuscripts will go on submission. All of those things are not things that will ever, like I will ever fall behind on, like I'll find a way, but I won't, you know, unless I prioritize writing, I won't ever do it. Um,
0: because it's too hard. It's yes, too hard. That's <laughs> the, that's the truth of writing. We won't do it because it's too hard. If we don't prioritize it, period, everything else is easier. Yes. Everything else is easier. Yes. That's is deep. <laughs> This deep. Yeah, I know. Super deep. Okay. So I love that you prioritize. I love that you do it first. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to doing your writing or to writing Oof. in general? Um
1: yes, I think that especially, you know, so with my clients, I get to work on proposals. Everything is nonfiction itself based on a proposal that's 50 to 80 pages. And it's in their heads. They hold on to that 50 to 80 pages. And I get to read it and make comments and whatever, but I never have to hold all the pieces in my head. Um, so I think of like there's probably some beautiful image of like some magician show somewhere where somebody's trying to like. I feel like actually I know this from some magician show somewhere, probably The Witcher, because that's the only thing that I would think that I would <laughs> <laughs> watched enough times to have this image. <laughs> but something where like they're hold, they're trying to hold up this whole world, yeah. um, and they're trying to keep all the pieces together and to keep all of the all of the people in the right places and all of the buildings in the right places, and they they have to they have to concentrate so hard to keep that world you know, within their grasp. And that I think is the hardest place because unless, um, I get like a lot of dedicated time, um, you know, I have to go throughout the rest of my day. Like I, Mm -hmm. I need to take care of my kids. I need to like be with, you know, my family. I have to do my job. I have to freaking sweep leaves outside on my steps. I have to sweep the leaves up. So like there are all of these other things that happen and it's so hard to be doing all of those things and to be holding this world within like my mental space. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the trickiest part, but it's also one of the parts that so long as I chill, going back to what you said before, I know that I can always go back to the beginning and I can always you know, take really good notes on, on that whole world and I can, I can build it up in my mind again. Until it
0: takes less work every time I try yeah. to hold it up. I love the way that you say that. And and the thing about holding that world up is we are the only ones who are doing it for the majority of the time of the book. At some point we'll all have editors. And if we're publishing, you know, like they will help with yeah. some of that, but otherwise it's mm-hmm. just us. And I feel like that is almost why I feel so fond of the books that I have written. I will never, mm. probably never read them again. I don't want to, but <laughs> but I'm fond of them because the worlds are now, that world is being held up by the pages mm. that it is in. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I can't And change by it. other
1: people's brains. Yeah, but, oh, yes. Yeah. Other people are holding up the world. Okay, we're getting oh, really,
0: that um, very, very, Deep in this conversation, very metaphysical. So myself, that is
1: also my personality. I, it. I guess <laughs> it's is not
0: that like, shocking. You're, if oh, you're bringing Michael. it out. That's awesome. <laughs> you're bringing it out of me. It's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Other people are holding up our books when we can finally let them go out into the world. Whew, gorgeous. What is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um,
1: You know, I think that truly is a, is a huge joy. Um, but something that maybe was unexpected is, and that is part of the writing process itself and not the product, uh, is all of the cool things that your subconscious can do while you're writing. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I, I think about a lot is this class I took as an undergraduate. Um, it was a philosophy of mind class where we were talking about people with blind spots. So they have a place of their vision that they're totally blind. And so researchers would hold up an object in this blind spot, and they would say, what am I holding up? You know, and the subjects, would like, come on, I told you I can't see in that spot. And they would say, well, reach your hand out and grab it. And when the researchers were holding out cups, the subjects would hold their hands out in the shape of a cup. When they were holding balls, the subjects would hold their hands in the shape of a ball. So the takeaway here is that there are things that our brains know that we're not conscious of. Yeah. And that I think is so much of what writing is. It's like bringing out the pieces of human experience that our brains know that we're not conscious of. And I think a lot of times that works its way out into the world as intuition. That's mm-hmm. what, how we think of intuition. And so for me that's the most exciting part about writing. Is when I find out, like I find a connection, and I say, "Oh, that's why he was doing that thing because, oh, because I realize that like there, it's there, it's it's hidden yeah. in the framework of the story." So, in the Hunter, for instance, there, um, there's this character who calls the main character Leo Donnell. Um, he calls her Wildcat. I didn't know why I picked this name. I thought it was just like a silly name to throw out, whatever. He has a nickname for her because he thinks it's cute. He's one of those guys. Um, and then I started listening to the audiobook uh because apparently I wanted to torture myself. And yeah, I-, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I realized when the narrator said Lee O'Donnell, he would she would say Leo O'Donnell, like Leo O'Donnell. <gasps> oh. And I went, oh, that's why he calls her
0: Wildcat. Oh, my I love that. <laughs> and it is such a an amazing thing to be able to rely on that. The intuition will just keep. Feeding us if we don't trip on yeah. it too hard, like we just keep showing, and up. if we, we just keep writing, yeah, and
1: we don't keep trying to outsmart it, yeah. we don't keep saying, Oh, I'm gonna plan all of the pieces together because my ego, my conscious self mm-hmm. knows what's best. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. you know, my ego is gonna craft this gorgeous plot that's all gonna come together, and it's like, No, just chill. Uh, like your intuition is handling it, your intuition has got it covered, and if you just wait and you're patient and you do the work and you sit down, it will come out. Like the, the patterns your brain is trying to get across will come out.
0: I will only mess it up when I go into my control freak panic phase and try to make everything happen. Yeah. And Uh just like the rest of my life, like when I step back and allow what is supposed to happen to happen, that's when it goes right. That's when it all goes right you know we can yes. call that intuition we yes. can call that the muse we can call that god we can call it anything but mm-hmm. um but what it is is that is our beautiful brains doing what they're gonna what they're gonna brain on and and, <laughs> it, and it comes together this is gorgeous okay so yeah, you did and the say, environment yeah, too
1: how we like interact with our environment yes. it's like it's not just us uh anyway and yes, no and the saying.
0: synchronicity <laughs> that arises when we're out in the world and and when we are I'm always talking about this with my students too. When we're constantly in the work, the entire world around us feeds us exactly what we need to be fed. And we can say, I can't believe that I heard that lyric and that's exactly what I needed to unlock that. No, I can believe it. You were, your brain was open. You keep going back to this place and therefore the rest of the world is going to fill
1: all Uh of the gaps
0: that you don't even know that they're gaps yet, but they're going to be filled.
1: It's so hard to like, relinquish control like that oh, especially yeah. with a deadline I would just yeah. like to point out for yeah. anyone listening who thinks we're like off our rockers um <laughs> maybe we are
0: this is aspirational also... <laughs> for me because I would like to control yes, the bands of I gravity feel. yeah <laughs> yes.
1: yes it's like I don't talk about how to plot better because like you know if plotting like if that were all it was like I could just jam it out a session drink like yeah. a you know quadruple espresso and just be done yeah. with it but mm-hmm. that's not I don't think that's how it works.
0: And so, right. As you said, it's
1: aspirational for me as well.
0: (laughs) So you spoke of the kindest thing that you've done for yourself. What is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you in your writing career?
1: I love this question. And I love this focus on kindness uh, because it it feels like it, it feeds the right part of my brain, which is to like, to be thinking about the, the ways in which like this community nourishes itself. And I think the kindest thing anyone ever did was take me seriously. I think that, you know, like I grew up, I know you're from the States. I grew up in Ohio in this really rural area. Uh, I, you know, most people didn't go to college, let alone like write books or, you know, I didn't even realize that people wrote books. That sounds dumb, but no, I didn't I that even moment. realize, right.
0: I, I was remember like, realizing oh, that like, somebody had a job to write the books that I read and it blew my mind. Yeah.
1: Cause it's like, you just kind of accept it as the fabric of the world. Yeah. Cause you've never written a write or like right. a, a book. So it's like, you know, somebody there's something to do taxes. And then there's this, like who, who knew? So I think that I would have been really easy to sort of brush off and to say, this person, you know, doesn't know what she's talking about. She's never taking a writing class. She doesn't, you know, have have the chops. And people were just nice to me. And I think that, that mattered because as soon as they started taking me seriously, I started taking myself seriously and mm-hmm. say, no, I can do this. And maybe it will take 10 years and countless, you know, drafts of everything to figure out who I am and what I want to write and what my voice is, but like, I'll get there.
0: I love that. And it makes me want to double down on taking other writers seriously too, which is something that I, I do, but.
1: I was going to say, I have a feeling you're very
0: good at this, but it is such a gift to give people because it, all it takes is the one person not believing in you that can break a writer's spirit for 30 years.
1: I know. know. And it's
0: like, you need 10 people believing in
1: you or whatever to like make up for that one person. So it's like by your giving faith to other people, like you're making up for whoever that one person is that told them Um, they can't do it.
0: I love that. I just read about the negativity bias that Mm. people believe something negative said about them. For some reason, I remember the numbers 2.5 to four times more strongly than they will believe a positive. So we really have to counteract that. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Can you share a craft (laughs) tip of any sort with us?
1: Yes. Uh, Let's see. Oh, yes. I think I so I actually took like quick notes because I knew I would get so excited about what we were talking about that I would forget what answers I had thought about. So I just <laughs> I do that. you too. know, very <laughs> slyly glanced down at my my notes. Um, I think, you know, because I've listened to your podcast and I a lot of people have really great advice, so I didn't want to repeat anything they said. Um, and I think the biggest piece of advice that I have for the sorts of books that I write and for a lot of books, is remembering to start your chapters or your scenes with an image Ooh. Uh, that they're this idea of like an opening image because so much of how we have been taught to consume art is through film and TV. Mm. and film and tv always starts with an opening image you can't like it's very rare to have a blank screen and to have a voiceover Mm -hmm. right and that's not really engaging like I remember like videos or um or movies when that happened and I'm just kind of like looking around like
0: where am I yeah what is going on
1: talking what's yeah exactly it's a little disorienting so remembering that your reader needs to be grounded in a place and time to feel like they can start to experience that and they can start to like live in that world. And again, this is coming from somebody who writes a certain type of book. My books really try to keep the reader in the moment. I try not to talk about the characters very much because Mm -hmm. I think again, that's not, I think it's distancing for us. It shows us how to intellectualize Mm -hmm. our experiences and that, like, like I think you had said, actually, that you had read Educated, right? Am I making this up? And mm-hmm. you felt like there was a distance between yeah. Yeah. between you and the, the author's experience. And it's like, you want to close that gap, especially if you want to give readers some sort of emotional resonance. And I think that the reason people read fiction and not anything else, not nonfiction, not newspapers, is because they want to feel a certain way about a book, And so just constantly reminding yourself that your job is to make them feel. And so what can you do to to help them do that better? How can you close that gap? And one of it, I think, is just creating a very immersive experience. So they're like all in.
0: I'm literally writing notes to myself from what you're saying. I um, (laughs) just started re-revising a memoir this morning that I need to get in proposal shape for my agent. So she needs those, you know, 50 to 80 pages and- Mm -hmm. I, I've been frustrated by the very first part of the first scene and I realized there's no image there and yeah. boosh, everything just, yeah, yeah. Everything just I will happened. say I use these
1: tips for my nonfiction clients too, do you? reminding them mm-hmm, that nobody wants to hear you talk about, not you personally, yeah. but like
0: yeah. anyone
1: kind of talk about their experiences. That's how we process our experiences. Mm-hmm. That is the thing that we do to make sense of our world but that is not something that is organic to the experience itself. So you are, if you're talking about your experiences versus like giving them to the reader and showing them the image and the place and the time, um, you know, you are already giving them the emotional distance that you have Mm -hmm. as somebody writing about that world.
0: That is so smart. Thank you. Thank you. Like from a very, very selfish perspective. Thank you. Um, (laughs) What, this might be hard for a literary agent to answer, but what is the best book you've read recently and why did you love it? And this
1: is hard for me to answer Uh, in part because I read a lot and, um, and I keep thinking like, what is meaningful to me? Like I read a lot. I will put a book down and then not think about it for the next four weeks. So I didn't Mm want to say something that Was like that. So actually, I'm going to talk about an old book. I have my copy here. (laughs) Um, Women Who Run Run With the Wolves. Yes. It's very old. It's well, I think it's from the 90s. Yeah. Um, But you'll see there are all of these like bookmarks. So um, I don't think
0: I've ever read it. Honestly, when I worked in a little bookstore, I sold 100 billion copies of it, but I've never read it.
1: It's so good. It's so good. So one of the things that I really gleaned from this is that women's stories, and this is like, you know, whatever you think of as like, womanly attributes, it's not, um, you know, it's not meant to be like, what's the word I'm looking for? Gendered. Divisional. Yeah, yeah. gendered. Yeah. Um, is the sense of like, we don't have a hero's journey. It's not, mm-hmm. that's not the structure of all experiences. Mm-hmm. That's a very like male ejaculatory structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can say that. Yeah, um, absolutely. But so talking about what are some It's called the climax
0: of- for a reason. Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> but like women's bodies work in cycles. Yeah. And like, there can be many
0: climaxes
1: <laughs> to get too graphic. <laughs>
0: exactly the more the better (laughs) so sorry
1: clearly my inhibitions have just dwindled um (laughs) so like women's stories can work in these cycles and so it's like what are some of the cycles of like how we structure women's stories and so the author looks at a lot of fairy tales and a lot of stories from around the world from women she's met from, um, you know, old wives' tales, things like that. So it's like, what is that wisdom that's being passed down with those stories? And how can you elevate them and take them seriously and figure out what is going on? Like, what is the wisdom that's being passed down in these stories? Mm-hmm. So when I get stuck with a book, I'll just open because it's very episodic. You don't have to read it from front, mm-hmm. from front to um, end. Is uh, looking at one of the one of the stories she dissects and saying what does this mean? And actually, when I wrote the hunter, that's actually um, the structure for that book is actually one of the stories that I read about in Women that. Who Run with the Wolves. Um, the structure is about a a woman with silver hands. So she, um, this, as the story goes, her father makes a deal with the devil and she loses her hands as a result. And the whole story is about how she learns to grow back her own hands. Uh, And it has all these stages that she goes through. So it's about, you know, feeling helpless and learning to be, um, to be yourself again. And to be able to use your hands and all of the Mm. weight that we ascribe to that metaphor. Anyway, so there are all of these stories like this in this book. And so I wanted to talk to your readers or your listeners about um, this book that is meaningful to me and continues to be meaningful to me. And that I probably read a little bit of every day.
0: I am going to pick up a copy and I am going to utilize that method of dipping in and out of it. I think that is so beautiful and so helpful and I had not thought of that book in yonks just I have not thought you about I feel like
1: would love it too because it's all based on like Jungian psychology that's what yeah. she is she's a psychologist yeah and so um it's like taking us through these like what are You know, what are these rites of passages that women are having throughout the cycles of their lives and what stories speak to that? And in what ways can we learn more about ourselves by understanding like the metaphors in these in these stories? You are incredibly
0: inspiring. (laughs) I really like talking to you. Can you please tell tell us about your book, The Hunter? Yes,
1: yes. It's The Hunter. I also brought a copy to hold up. Just Such a good cover. I love the cover so much. Yeah. Um, the hunter takes us through the story of a detective. Her name is Leo Donnell. Leo, like Leo, path, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who makes a really big mistake. She points her sidearm at her partner and she lets the suspect get away. And when she does this, it blows up her whole life. And um then she gets a call from her brother who says. You know, there are these these three suspicious deaths. Can she come back and investigate to her hometown in Ohio? And she gets it in her head that if she solves this case, like she'll get her job back with the NYPD, which she's lost. Um, Her husband will come back to her because he's left her and this crumbling life she's had will just suddenly reconstitute itself. But of course, it's not so easy. Um, when she goes back home, she has to deal with a lot of stuff she's been avoiding for a very long time. But it turns out when she starts to deal with some of this stuff, um, she gains insight into this, this big case that she's trying to solve. And she also gains insight, insight into why she made that really big mistake um, so that you know, the reader gets the sense of not only is she working to uncover something about the world, but she's working to uncover something about herself. Um, And for me, like all the best books, not that like my book is one of the best books. I'm just saying, like all the best Mm -hmm. books to me do that. It's like, they relate the external struggles, the internal Mm -hmm. struggle. So you read it and you think, ah, maybe I know myself a little better.
0: As she is growing her hands back through.
1: As she is growing her hands back. Yeah. And like, you know, When she gets her hands cut off for me, the metaphor for that was, like, loses her badge, like, loses her gold shield. And how does she come to, like, be in a place where she can be that person again?
0: Well done. Well done. The book is beautiful. (laughs) Your writing is lyrical. And also compelling and arresting and just all of the things. Um I really enjoyed it and oh, people should go read you. The Hunter. Where can they find you out there online?
1: Oh, they can find me at um cuz I'm formal on my website, jenniferferrerabooks.com. <laughs> it's spelled h e r r e r a. Jennifer like I guess standard standard spelling. And I'm also on Instagram. Um, you can also type Jennifer Herrera, literary agent, and it'll, you know, take you to all the things.
0: Ooh, but in I general, yeah. Also yeah. ask for listeners who are writing nonfiction, are you accepting mm-hmm. queries? And what are you looking for?
1: I would be remiss. Oof, great question. I, uh, I accept queries. The problem is I don't tend to respond to queries that I get in my inbox because I get a lot of them and it's really hard to respond to everybody. And so I feel really guilty that that is not something I do. I think it's but if an you have a listener practice, though. If, if you don't hear back so. now, I always
0: tell people, if you haven't heard back in six weeks, that's a, that's a no. Let's just put yeah. it in no in your I, I think
1: I feel bad because I, I like want people to have that closure, but like I don't have the bandwidth to give that yeah. closure. And so it's like the struggle of like, do I close my inbox or do I just, you know, force people to make that inference. And sadly, I force people to make that inference. Um, But I will say if somebody says, you know, they they heard about me on this podcast, and they say it in the subject line, I'm happy to make sure that I respond. So happy to do that for your listeners.
0: You might Um, regret that. (laughs) <laughs> i hope you don't <laughs> i
1: hope i don't i'm sure i won't I'm i think sure most I people
0: most people who listen are doing uh, fiction and memoir so not not typically right. your standard non-fiction yeah
1: and i do some memoir but memoir can be really tricky so mm. um i don't do a ton of it but in general i just love anything that that sparks something in me like i love going deep i love being happy I love figuring out uh, how about the world and about our lives. And so it's like, whatever gets us there,
0: I want to read and I want to sell. That's awesome, Jenny. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show. This was fantastic.
1: I had such a great time. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write?,